Good morning, Hill City. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? My name is Nicole Eunice. I'm part of the team here at Hill City, and I'm super excited to bring us the message this morning. You guys sound amazing today. You have lots of energy. Is it the cooler weather? Did it? Did you just got up this morning and did the, the pep in your step? So it's fun. I'm really excited for us to get to open up God's word together. I know. I don't know how you guys are uh, in between Sundays, but I know that for me, this place that we come, we're really doing something that generation after generation we've done, which is we come to together and we sing songs to the Lord and we hear each other's voices and we come to God's word and we expect to discover in God's word what he has for us today. And what we're going to discover today in this passage is that Jesus is an expert in human nature. And when Jesus is moving through the crowds, through his disciples, through conversation, we talked about this idea of spiritual language last week, Jesus is an expert at the heart of the matter. And I think the invitation for all of us is to believe that when Jesus speaks, he speaks into all of our hearts. And particularly when we think that a message does not apply to us, might be the time where there is the deepest need for conviction of all. So that's going to be my opening for today. Jesus uh, told stories, and we're going to talk about those stories. We're talking about a story about barns today, but just to review what parables are, because we're doing parables this summer. So parables are stories that Jesus tells. The, The word parable is the same word as parabola, that calculus word, just to take you back there for a second. Um, Calculus, there's like that, that's all I know about calculus. I've told you guys this before. It's the only thing I remember. So the idea is that you throw down a story on one side and it parallels the spiritual truth on the other side. And Jesus uses this technique all the time. So people ask him a question, something he observes, and he enters in with a story. But here's the thing about parables. You can ignore them. You can decide that they're not for you. You don't have to wrestle with them. It actually takes appreciative listening to be able to enter in to what Jesus is inviting us to. Appreciative listening is having ears to hear, actually engaging and saying, oh, this is for me somehow. I don't know why right now, but it is for me. And then having a tolerance to wrestle. So you wouldn't just like hear this parable for the next half an hour or so and never think about it again. You would leave like mildly disturbed You would wonder, you would ask questions, maybe you would even read it again this week or think about it again, and you'd ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you what's there for you, so you'd have a tolerance to wrestle and then that commitment to take it with you. So you're taking with you the story, because there is no way in just these few minutes for any one of us to fully apprehend what God has for us. This is really supposed to be like the appetizer. And then you're going to go home and like wrestle through it for the rest of the week. That's what appreciative listening is like. Many of us have selective listening. We just can block things out so easily. I was with a friend yesterday and we were talking uh, and we were doing some moving at our old house and don't teach on greed and consumerism while you're also moving. Because <laughs> I was like, who are we and why do we have this much stuff? Like, what is wrong with us? So anyway, side note. But I was talking with my friend. Her husband was across the truck helping Dave with some ratchet straps. Um, that's a real, you know, marriage opportunity as well. So we were talking and, her, and she, her husband was like, Jill, Jill, Jill. She was like, I've heard you this whole time. I just didn't want to listen to you. And I was like, that's a perfect example of selective. They love each other. They're allowed to do that. They've been married for like 40 years, so it worked out. But um, anyway, so we need that appreciative listening if we're going to find what Jesus has for us. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. Here's a little setup. Um, Parables invite us to see things we'd rather keep hidden. 
At the end of the day, everything we do this summer, all of the stories that we hear, parables are always an invitation to see something that we'd rather keep hidden. They're an opportunity to rediscover a truth that we probably already know. That's kind of the way that they work. And so we're gonna talk about, we talked about selective listening and appreciative listening. Here we go in Luke chapter 12. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on each other. Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. The time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. So just a little context before we get into the story. Jesus is looking at what's happening He's looking out across all of these, um, these crowds around him. I imagine him here, and I imagine standing next to Jesus, and he's looking out at the crowd. And we want to say, like, isn't Hill City great? Like, isn't it cool? All these people are coming. And Jesus stands back and says, beware of the yeast of hypocrisy. <laughs> Jesus, we're, we're the church people, though. Like, we're here. And he's not like, good job, guys. He says, beware of the yeast of hypocrisy. Now, even if you don't bake bread, you probably know that it's so little. Yeast is so little that does so much, right? And the way that yeast works is it activates through the entire loaf of bread or whatever you're, you're baking. And that little tiny bit goes and spreads through this whole thing, and then it, it, it becomes what it's going to become, right? And so Jesus, when he's looking at these crowds, all these people coming around him, all these people that are excited to hear what he has to say, what he says to his disciples is watch out for hypocrisy. Watch out for how this can spread in a crowd because guess what? Everything that's covered up in you, all that secret, it will be made known. When I think about Jesus listening and seeing the crowd, it's almost like it reminds me of if you've ever tried to have like, you know how kids can't whisper? Like they try but they, it's the same exact volume. It's just in a whispering sound. They're like, is this quiet, mommy? You're like, no, that's exactly the same. You just made your voice harsh. And I think of when Jesus is with the crowds, and I wonder if to him, he's like, I can hear your whispers. Like, I, I, I can see into your heart. Like, I know what's in there. Now, if we didn't know who Jesus was, that would be terrifying. And, and it actually should be. It should be terrifying. <laughs> it should be terrifying to think about the idea that all of your thoughts will be broadcast. But this is, Jesus knows, and then he offers himself as a solution for that issue. But the first thing we have to, like, sort of reckon with is that that is an issue, right? And so he's looking at all these crowds who are coming around. He's like, beware the yeast of hypocrisy, because guess what? Everything that's in your heart is going to come to light. It's going to be known. And I, I think Jesus is like, and I know it. I know human nature, and so he goes on and he says this word beware. And I love that this definition for beware that we're going to see over and over again in this passage is actually perceive this correctly. It's also translated watch out. But what, it, what it's actually saying is, hey, hey, pay, pay attention. Perceive this correctly. Like this is really important to get right. And he says it over and over again. So he says, hey, perceive this correctly. Watch out for hypocrisy. So here's how I would say that. Beware looking good on the outside while deceiving yourself about the inside. And, and I'm not saying that like, ooh, oh, like, yeah, I'm saying all of us will have a tendency to do this, 100%. Eugene Peterson says greed, which we're going to talk about. Greed is like a virus. It's always in your body. It's just a matter of how much you're fighting it. 
Like, do you have the antibodies to fight it? And this idea of looking good on the outside while deceiving yourself about the inside is part of human nature, amen? Like, that's what Jesus is saying when he's looking at the crowds. He's like, hey, watch out for this. Perceive this thing correctly, because if you can perceive this correctly, then you'll be able to be on guard about it. You'll be able to know that it's there, that it's happening, that it's part of us. We are all of mixed motive, And that's what he begins to address here. We're about to hear a story about a good man with a virus. It's a virus that infects all of us in one form or another. It's not COVID. It is greed. It affects each of us in different ways and in different amounts, but it does actually impact all of us. So here's how we get into the story today. Crowd around. Someone from the crowd cries out, teacher, Tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? This is actually a really weird thing that Jesus said because in fact, rabbis were there to decide such things as this. So when Jesus says to him, friend, who who made me the arbitrator of your issue? It's a weird thing that Jesus said. It was probably really confusing to the guy because he's like, well, but that's what rabbis do. You guys are supposed to help us with family matters. You're my pastor. How come you're not helping me with this issue? It should feel confusing. He's a man who's obviously seeking justice for a real wrong done to him. So it should cause us to wrestle that Jesus would just be so, I don't know, flippant in his response, shake this guy off so quickly. Jesus has a man who's asked a real question. Jesus has just told people to ask and they'll receive, seek and they'll find. So it's really weird that he would just not answer this guy's question. This should be disturbing to all of us because we should be asking, isn't this guy just seeking justice? Isn't it okay to want things to be fair? But then this is what Jesus says, the ultimate expert on human nature. He says, beware Remember what beware means? Perceive correctly. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Huh. So here's a guy seeking justice. He's asking for something fair. He thinks he's coming to the right person to do so. And Jesus responds with watch out for greed. Now all we can do is assume that Jesus can discern within this good request was a hidden sin, a barb that is actually the more important matter at hand. It's the razor blade in the Halloween candy. Surrounded by good intentions, there's something else going on in this man's heart. And as Jesus is apt to do, he does not condemn this man. He does not shame him. He doesn't call him out. He doesn't point his finger. Instead, he tells a story. And here's the story that Jesus tells. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. And then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. 
then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. (laughs) I wonder if the guy listening was confused or convicted or just thought, did Jesus hear what I asked? Because I know if I was this guy, I'd be like, what? What, what, is this, what is this story about? I'm asking for justice. He must be talking to someone else. You see, that's what parables do. Parables are an invitation for those who have ears to hear. But perhaps we can find out more about what might have been going on in this guy's heart based on this. And by the way, when Jesus tells a parable, he doesn't tell it for one person. He tells it for all people. That's why he's an expert in the human heart. So he had an opportunity with a specific circumstance to tell a general story that then applies for all of us. And if I could see three things happening in this story, here's the three things I think that are happening. In this story, the man with the barns has a wrong relationship with stuff. He has a wrong relationship with time. And therefore, he has a wrong relationship with God. And so nothing that's happening in the story is essentially bad. There's a lot of good intentions, but what we see is that there's a tension here with a wrong relationship to stuff, a wrong relationship to time, and therefore a wrong relationship to a priority with God. Does that make sense to you? So let's take a look and see what we can find here. Beware hidden intentions. Beware using good intentions to hide hidden motivations. So the man who comes with the story and he says, divide my inheritance, arbitrate between me and my brother. My brother and I are having an argument and what's owed to me is not coming. And into that, Jesus says, beware when you have good intentions that are hiding hidden motivations. And this is the most true for church people because we're good at looking good. And so we can deceive ourselves about our intentions because of being so good at looking good. Here's a couple of things that I think we can do. One of them is that we shortcut God. This is a super easy one to fall into. We make moral choices that shortcut God. We just say, okay, I I think I'm supposed to make this happen. Yeah, we're like in a world that says we got to make it happen. And a lot of times we will make things happen outside of a relationship with God, outside of waiting and perceiving what God actually has for us. We will say by any means necessary, we'll make good things happen. This happens to humans all the time. We see it all through scripture. I want to tell you two stories. The first one is a guy named Saul. This is the Old Testament. This is in 1 Samuel 13. He's the first king of Israel. Israel was God's chosen people that was gonna show the world what it was like to live in relationship with God. Now, in the New Testament, we are all God's chosen people when we say yes to Jesus. But in the Old Testament, the Israelites were those people. But the Israelites didn't want God as their king. They said, we want a king like all the other nations. In a true middle school move, the actual words are, we want a king like everyone else. It's like, we want a jean jacket like everybody else. Like, it really was like that moment. And God was like, if, if I will give the people what they want. This is what God does all the time. He lets us have freedom. He gives freedom. And so the people say, we want a king like everybody else. And he's like, it's not going to work out for you. But if that's what you want, that's what you can have. And so Saul was that first king. And pretty much right away, as soon as Saul becomes king, he starts to take shortcuts with his power. Here's the story that I want to tell you guys from 1 Samuel 13. Saul was staying at Gilgal. This is just a place he was at. 
and his men were trembling with fear, okay? So he's waiting there for Samuel. He's supposed to come and wait for the priest to come and bless the battle that they're about to, that's about to take place. This is the way it was supposed to be done. This is the way that God set it up. God was like, this is how it's going to work. You're going to be king, but there's still going to be a priest. And so the explicit instructions from God were stay here and wait for Samuel. And Samuel had told Saul that. And so he waits there, and meanwhile, his men are starting to get scared because they're about to go to battle. And Saul waits seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him, but Samuel still didn't come. And Saul sees that his troops are slipping away, and he gets scared. And so he demands that the burnt offering be brought to him, and he actually does the priestly duties himself, which was a huge no-no. Like, that is not okay. And so he does all the things, and as he's finishing doing the priestly duties, Samuel shows up just then. And Samuel says to him, what is it that you've done? And look what Saul says back. He says, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Michmash ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. You see, Samuel, I had such good intentions. I haven't even done my part. I didn't ask for the Lord's help, so I felt compelled. He might as well have said, I prayed about it. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before he came. Beware shortcuts in life. Beware rushing ahead of God. Beware disregarding the last thing God told you because of the thing that you kind of want. Beware an attitude of any means necessary because we fall into this all the time. We're like, well, as soon as I fill up my retirement account, then I'm really gonna start being generous with my money. You know, that's a shortcut. That's a good intention that's shortcutting some of the things that God has given us. If you're confused about what God has said, you can go to the New Testament letters. It is like you can have a daily list of instructions in the New Testament letters. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. Beware of moving forward in life and not seeking and and asking for forgiveness. That's an example of a moral shortcut that we can make. Here's another shortcut. This one was with Jesus when he was tempted. It says the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, jump off. And the enemy, the devil, knows the scripture and uses the scriptures to tempt Jesus. He actually says, let me give you some spiritual backing for what I'm telling you to do. Let me tempt you to take a shortcut that will be good for your ministry because I'm gonna use scripture to do so. And he gives him back up and he says, he said he'll order his angels to protect and guard you and they'll hold you up with their hands so you won't hurt your foot on a stone. But Jesus also knew the scripture and he knew the highest order of scripture And said, the scriptures also say, do not test the Lord your God. You see, we're always tempted to shortcuts, moral shortcuts. We're tempted to believe that we can justify the way that we're living our life, the way that we're living in our relationships, the way we have relationships to our stuff, the way we have relationships to time. This is as old as human nature. We are not going to escape it. It's the same to Saul. It's the same thing the enemy tried to use on Jesus. It's the same thing that Jesus saw when he looked out at the crowds and he said, beware hypocrisy. Beware good intentions that are covering mixed motivations. 
And here's the thing about good intentions and mixed motivations. You know the only way that you can close that gap is that same scripture I shared last week, Psalm 139. Search me, search me, O God, and know me. No one's going to be able to find it in you. It's between you and the Lord when those things are revealed. Wait a second. Why do I do what I do? Why am I in this relationship? Am I in this relationship to love this person? Or am I trying to get something from them? How am I showing up in the world? Am I showing up in the world because I want to be generous with my life or because I want people to think that I've got it all together? That's between you and the Lord, but that's that beware of those moral shortcuts that keep us from knowing who we really are. Beware those shortcuts. In this parable, there's a connection between the commands that God gave us in the Old Testament and how this story plays out. You know the Ten Commandments? You might not know all of them, But here's the first one, have no other gods before me. And the last commandment is do not not covet, meaning do not want other people's stuff. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When Jesus told this story, he gave a masterful interpretation of the whole of the commandments. Because he says, beware of anything that keeps you from loving God first, and beware of any things that keep you from loving people first. When the man came to him and said, tell my brother to divide the estate, he wasn't loving his brother because of things. The man in our parable, right? He tells a story, I've got all of this good stuff. I've got to take care of all this good stuff. And then I'll say to myself, my friend, you've done so well. He let the stuff keep him from loving others. And so Jesus, this masterful, genius storyteller, wraps all of the commandments up in the story and says, perceive correctly things that will keep you from loving God first and things that will keep you from loving people first, especially the good things especially the good things. So what was going on with this guy and his wrong relationship with stuff? Well, I think what we see in the story is that he had an owner mindset. Did you guys notice I tried to tell you the story so you catch it? He's like, look at my fields. But the story actually just starts with like abundance, right? It says there's a rich man with a fertile farm. Who makes a farm fertile? Who decides that the soil is fertile? The answer is always the same, you guys. You can say it. It's God, right? It's Jesus, right? So this guy's got a farm, and he, maybe he's cultivated it correctly, right? But he's got, a fertile, he's got fertile soil and abundant crops. He's got so much, so much abundance that he's rich. And then he starts talking to himself, right? And he says to himself, look at all that I have. Look of all that I've done. What will I do with all that I've done? You see, what was happening here was like an owner mindset, And an owner mindset for all of us is very different than a steward mindset. An owner mindset says that this is the things that I have done and this is my world to create. Everything that I have is because I did it. Therefore, everything that I have is up to me what to do with it. Beware the owner mindset in life. Here's a couple of things I thought would be different between being an owner versus being a steward. An owner owner considers himself. Just like in our story, he's like, what will I do with all that I have? Let me make a decision about what I'll do. But a steward considers the owner. 
A steward says, based on the one who owns all of this, what considerations should I have about what I've been given? And by the way, this is not just about finances. This is about all the things we've been given, right? Because we can covet anything. We can covet a life we don't have. We can covet time we don't have. We can covet relationships we don't have. We can covet stuff we don't have, right? So an owner considers himself, a steward considers the owner. An owner decides for himself. A steward makes decisions to honor the owner. Says, I've been given this to steward, therefore, knowing what I know about the owner's values, how then should I make decisions? An owner represents themselves. A steward always represents the owner. A steward says, none of this is mine to have. All of this is given to me to manage. And I want to manage, represent, and honor the owner with the way that I live my life. Do you see how different that mindset could be in your own life even today? If you went home to your life and you were like, this abundance has been given to me to steward. Like, I, I have not done as much as I think I've done to have the life that I have. And yet, there might be really hard things in your life too. What would it be like to seek God's blessings even in those as well? We're gonna get to that in just a moment. So an owner versus a steward mindset is I think the heart of the matter in the difference between what happens with the guy who builds bigger barns. Nothing wrong with bigger barns, don't forget. There's never anything wrong with like what's actually in this guy's life. What's the real problem is what we see at the end, right? He says, you'll die this night and who will get everything you worked for because you're a fool to, stir up, to store up earthly wealth. Not a full stop, right? It says, but not have a rich relationship with God. You see, there's a connection there. He's not saying there's something wrong with abundance because our God is a God of abundance. There's a lot of abundance. In fact, I think we have tons of abundance like we talked about last week among all of us. It's not that abundance itself is wrong. It's that mindset, right? It's a proper relationship with stuff. Am I an owner or a steward? It's a proper relationship with time. How do I understand God in my past, present, and future? And it's a proper understanding and relationship with God. It's a priority. It's seeing him as the ultimate owner with a life that he has given us to steward. So I want us to give some really practical ways. I've been like thinking about this a lot and I wanna talk about how we can combat greed. If again, greed is a virus, it's in all of us. We're all constantly trying to perceive correctly how we can combat that greed in our lives. And even right now for a moment, you can take a moment and if you wanna think about what is it that you wish you had? What's the last online shopping site you were on? Who's the last person that you looked at on your social media and you were like, wow, that's a nice life. What's the job that you searched on LinkedIn? Again, none of those things in themselves are bad, but the question is, do I have a right relationship with all this stuff? And what do I do to guard against a virus that's just a part of our human nature? So here's three things that I think we can do very, very practically to be rich with God in life. To take our wealth and to actually choose to be rich with God. And the first one is this, look for God's hand on your past. One of the ways to cultivate an abundance mindset is to look at where God has moved in your life that has nothing to do with you. Some of you have probably participated in this team building exercise on equity where you kind of line up and then you, you're asked a series of questions and the questions are such things as, uh, did both your parents go to college, take four steps forward? 
Did you grow up, by the way, if you grew up in Goochland, Virginia, your life expectancy is six years longer than if you grew up in Richmond, Virginia. Did you choose to grow up in Goochland? Probably not. I mean, let's be honest, you know what I mean? No, <laughs> but like you have a longer life expectancy if you live there. Look at all of the things about your life that you can't control and that you didn't choose. 76% of those who had two parents with college degrees said they went to college immediately after high school. That's double the amount who go from no degree families. Now that doesn't mean though those things can't be overcome, but I just wanna give you an actual stat. You don't choose to have parents with two degrees, and yet parents with two degrees mean you're that much more likely to be on that path. You don't choose to have parents with no degrees, but you have three, you're like three steps back in equity just trying to make it forward if that's what you desire. People who go straight into the workforce or the military after high school, almost 60% of them say they did it because they couldn't pay for an education. You didn't choose to go into the military. Maybe you just, that was the life that you were given. Do you know that if you're a child of divorce, you're so much more likely to actually experience a divorce. Now we do what we can to really combat that, right? It doesn't mean that has to be your story, but I just wanna point out to you guys that there's all these stats in life, both good and bad, that have literally nothing to do with what you chose. And we've gotta wrestle with that as human beings and ask the question, who is steering the ship that is my life? And how much of it do I think is me? And how much of it is it, is it time to just like take the hands off of the, the steering wheel of this huge ship that is your life and like let God show you how his fingerprints have been in your life, in your past, in your hurt, in your victories, in your glory, in your shame, that God has been with you. The fact the only reason that you're sitting here today is because God has been at work in your past. And if you wanna cultivate an abundance mindset, the first step is, wow, I have a lot that I did nothing to deserve. I have a lot in my life. We didn't choose, if you were born here in America, you didn't choose that, right? So we have a lot that we've been given. Psalm 119, 73, I just read this this morning. Your hands made me and formed me. Start there. <laughs> If you wanna cultivate an abundance mindset, you can say to your Father in heaven, thank you that your hands made me and formed me. And you, will you give me understanding to learn your commands? Will you teach me how to live in right relationship with my stuff, with time, and with you? Second thing we can do is we can dwell with Christ in the present. Cultivating an abundance mindset is to dwell with Christ right in the moment you're in, to look for moments of joy and to be absolutely present right where you are. This is what Jesus taught us to do. Jesus was able to take a nap in a full storm. He's able to feast with sinners while others are foaming at the mouth about the state of their nation. He's able to take his time moving from place to place. He's never frantic. Jesus is sad. Jesus does mourn. He cries. Jesus shows frustration and even anger about the state of people, but he lives fully in the present. He lives in a world that his father made that is a world of more than enough. And if you could do one thing this week, I would encourage you to celebrate the present. And I took on this assignment myself. And because I know you always have your phone with you, this is easy to do. You can tag Hill City if you want. 
And all I did was like, I'm gonna look around in my life and I'm gonna find moments to fully celebrate what's beautiful here because that honors my Father in heaven. It honors my Father in heaven when I say I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I am celebrating the moment that I'm in. Here's the first one. I mean, some guacamole. Amen to guacamole. I was just making some guacamole. And I looked down at my, at my Whole Foods chips, which were way too expensive, but very delicious. And I looked at that cilantro, which smelled so good. And it smelled like summertime. And my family was around the kitchen island and a couple of friends. That is exactly the moment I wanted to savor to say, thank you, Christ, that you dwell with me here in the present. Yesterday, I was out on a trail. I took this picture. It just looks like green stuff, right? But if you look closely, there's an abundance and variety of different things. Like there's like this over here. This is a different plant right here. This tree's different. This tree's also different over here. Here's some dirt. There's some grass. That's a lot of difference. I'm like, guys, God didn't have to make the world like this. He could have just made all the green stuff look exactly the same. But instead, he says, hey, when you're on your walk next time, why don't you slow down enough to count the abundance of things that I've made to show you that I'm an abundant God, amen? Like, I'm a God of diversity and abundance and fullness and joy, and can you be human beings who dwell in my presence even in the hardship? Even in the things that you wish were different, even in the more that you wish you had, what would it look like to trust God enough to say, look at all that green stuff. This is awesome. I'm just going to stop right here for a second and say, God, you made a lot of green stuff and I love it. Like that is trusting God. That's dwelling with Christ in the present. And it's good. And guess what? People like you when you're like that too. Like your family will be so happy. They might think you're a little weird like mine do, but like in general... Would you rather be around a person who's too pumped about life or a person who's super apathetic and cynical about life? Like, I'll go with too pumped. Like, I, I just, I think we need a little bit more. We just need to be a little too pumped about life right now. I think it would help everybody around us quite a bit. Dwell with Christ in the present. Abundance is the antidote to greed. If you want to know what's going to fight the virus of greed in your heart, abundance is going to fight it. Eyes for abundance will fight that part of you that wants more of what you don't have because you'll start to realize that you're surrounded by so much. Finally, let contentment inform your future. Practice contentment. Contentment is the state of being satisfied with things as they are. Mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are. This is no reason not to seek justice. This is no reason not to take action. This is no reason not to be sad or mourn or cry or suffer. All that stuff's still there. But to be content is to allow contentment to inform your future. And guess what? If you try to do this, it's going to reveal for you those hidden motivations. It's going to help you understand where we started when Jesus said, beware hypocrisy, beware good intentions that are covering hidden motivations. If you try to say, I choose to be content, those hidden motivations will come to the light. And when they come to the light, you can give them to the Lord. And you can say, God, I'm sorry. Just like the song we sang, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when you haven't been enough. Like help me know that you are enough. Because choosing to be content is the way that those hidden motivations will be revealed. They answer your longings and you can answer them with what God has given, with gratitude for what is. The words I wrote down for myself as I wrestled through this parable 
where these are the words that I want to live every day. And I want to state these as a statement of faith to God. I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. I'm exactly who I'm meant to be. And I can celebrate this moment right now as an act of trust. As you do that, you cultivate gratitude. And as you cultivate gratitude, you fight greed. And as you fight greed, you're actually able to see that our God is a God of abundance. So I wrote you guys a couple questions as we wrap up for today. Where might you have good intentions covering up hidden motivations for more? And where might be God, where is God inviting you to release your grip? So let's just take a moment. We're gonna take about a minute to think and then I'll close this in prayer. We pray that you might help us to perceive correctly the abundance, the blessing that you've shown us in our lives, Lord. Would you just spark a memory, remind us of ways that you've been present, ways that you've been faithful, ways that you have provided for us. And would you help us to dwell with you in the present, to be able to stop long enough to see beautiful moments, to experience them fully as an act of trust and of worship. And Father, for any of us in this room who are just gripping so tightly to something that we've wanted, something that we've desired that just has not come to be, that is consuming our thoughts and our feelings. Lord, just for these next few moments as we sing this last song, God, will we, will we just release our grip just for a moment and just to trust you to cast our cares upon you and know that you are a God who brings healing who brings safety, who brings belonging, who brings contentment. Jesus, we can trust you. We can repent of ways that we've tried to make it without you. And we pray that these last words that we sing together would be an expression of that faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.